Hi, this is Lori, your host of Happiness Hangout, a space to come and elevate your happiness levels. You, me, and our guests will discuss and help you apply happiness to all aspects of your life, even if you're already happy. Get your daily boost of information to help you feel your best. Well, hello, everyone. This is Lori Peters from the Happiness Hangout, a place to support and grow your loving partnership. And as usual, we always have a guest on, almost always have a guest on. And we love talking loving personal relationships on the Happiness Hangout. So that's what we do. And we always tailor our shows to be just a little bit different uh, than the show before and the show after it. And today we're going to be talking about fearless love. And the key word here is fearless. So we're going to be talking about some very um, deep, interesting topics around love and relationships. So I'd like to take a minute and tell you about our guest. She is a psychotherapist and relationship coach. Her name is Gianni Adamo, and she is a licensed practicing counselor and a licensed mental health counselor and the founder of Fearless Love Relationship Coaching and Counseling. With her Master of Arts degree in counseling from Nyack College in New York, Gianni spent the last 14 years immersed in the study of human behavior, relationship dynamics, and spiritual theory. Gianni says, therapist, I work with my clients to help them see that intimate relationships, although conflicted at times, are nature's path to healing, personal growth, and happiness. Gianni has been named Relationship Coach of the Year 2017 by Women in E-Commerce of South Florida. She will be receiving a Golden Mouse Award at the end of October for her depth of knowledge, giving spirit, and for being an inspiring role model. Gianni is a member of the Palm Beach County Mental Health Association and of relationship, the Relationship Coaching Institute. Her blogs are featured in various publications, including YourTango.com, Bride, MSN, Glamour, and Psych Central. Her goal is to educate, empower, and enlighten individuals and couples to heal their heart's wounds, to live free from the pain and powerlessness of the past, and to create safe and intimate marriages and fearless love. Gianni Adamo, welcome to the Happiness Hangout. Hi, Lori. How are you? I'm so excited to be here with you today. Well, I'm so excited, too. I was uh, talking with Gianni. I'll tell our listeners, was talking with Gianni ahead of time about this. And some of the topics we're we're going to cover, I think, really affect people's marriages and relationships uh, in a very intimate, deep way. So I'm very excited to be uh, getting into it with you today and our listeners being able to hopefully take in and, and process and come out better for it in the end um, by listening to this show. So we're excited to have you and we're going to just kind of jump in and talk about fearless love. How's that sound? That sounds great. Okay, great. Well, I want to congratulate you first on, on your book and your marriage. Everything happened to you over this summer and I'm sure you're like still like settling the dust here, but I'm just so happy for you and all the transitions and all the wonderful things that have come to your life this summer. And I just want to honor you that for that and, and say congratulations. 
Well, thank you so much. I mean, I think over if you've listened to the show over time, you know that um, I just got married about a little over three months ago and I'm staring at my husband right now. He just gave me the thumbs up. I got that right. <laughs> so it's been it's been a little over three months. And and I always say never Never publish a book and get married at the same time. It's just a little bit too much. But hey, I got through it and everything works out the way it works out, right? That's that's right. That's right. What is your husband's name? Because I don't have his name. I'm sorry. Oh, sure. It's Ryan. Ryan. Okay. Well, say hello to Ryan for me as well then. I've seen your pictures on Facebook. <laughs> well, he just he just walked by and waved, so you got a wave back from him. So Okay. So, so thank you. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And, and you know, fearless love. Um, I like that. It, it, it just says to me, like, go in with your whole heart and, and don't be afraid. Even if you get hurt, you, you have to take that chance. But tell me how you came up with fearless love relationship coaching and counseling. How did that all happen to come up with that particular name? Well, Lori, I wish I had this huge story around how I came up with this name. Basically, I was walking on the beach, having a conversation with an acquaintance. She and I were both newcomers to South Florida. And basically, when those words flowed out of my mouth in conversation with her, I knew it immediately that that was going to be the name of my practice. So that was like really early on in my move here to South Florida before I had established a practice here. I would I had taken some time off and I wanted to like figure out if I was going to stay here or not. So bottom line is in those first several months of coming to South Florida, that those words just flowed out of my mouth and I realized that this is these are words that are true to my heart. So then I researched it and I found out that these words, fearless love, were not trademarked. Therefore, I went ahead and trademarked them. And at that point, I started to kind of accept and believe that this must have been like a divine inspiration, um, that it must have been a God thing, because these beautiful words, fearless love, like who wouldn't have trademarked that and who wouldn't be operating under those words, who, especially for me as a marriage counselor and a relationship coach, you know, and I'm not the only one in this world who does this for a living. So I'm thinking, wow, this must have been a, a divine appointment that this is the name of my practice. Now, we're gonna pause on that and fast forward. I'm currently writing a book, which we'll talk about later. And now those words mean something even stronger for me, understanding abuse from a deeper level than I did when that those words came to me. And that's what one of the things that I found out is, you know, once you have been hurt, like tragically hurt, like really, it's not just like a disappointment hurt. You really have to deal and um, fight back basically or or peel away the layers of all the fear that comes and wraps itself around your heart. So so we'll, as we go through, you know, our conversation and, and on this talk, I think it'll, I'll be more clear about that, but it's, it's becoming more like, clear to me what fearless love means. Initially, it just meant moving from fear to love because unfortunately many people do feel like they love but in reality their behaviors are grounded in fear not in love and i have to help them to see that especially when they're becoming or they are controlling controlling behaviors come from fear not from love so i usually have to show my clients the path out of the controlling behaviors and out of other behaviors that are not full of love but they're full of fear 
So that's usually been the journey. But like I said, with the book that I'm writing, it has taken on a completely more deeper meaning, which we, we can go through later in this talk. Well, absolutely. And, you know, you talk specifically about, you know, uh, not just about the the questions around relationships, uh, everything everybody wants to know. How can we make this last forever? How can we do this right? Why is there so much divorce? It We all typically come to the table with some kind of pain and fear, whether it's mental, mental. What is that? That was my combination of mental and physical, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. We come with something, you know, that's happened to us. So you specifically deal so much with, it, it appears, moving past that pain and being able to be in your relationship and finding a healthy way to move past it if you're with the right person. I mean, if you're with the wrong person, obviously that pain often just continues until you can get with the right soul kind of thing. So, so that, that's, you know, that's really beautiful, beautiful work. I mean, that you're doing. And, um, I know I feel that way too. I, I did a lot of my own work, my work on my own to get to where I needed to be. Um, I know I learned from the people I dated, but I, I did a lot of work on my own. And so, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of ways to do it, but let's face it. We're not perfect people and things are going to come up about ourselves, you know, when we're with another person in relationship, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, so I know that, you know, this country, the U.S. of A. is still about getting married. 85% mm -hmm. of people are still getting married. We hear the divorce rates. They're all the way, you hear them all the way from 45 to 55% divorce rate. But people are still out there doing it. Why do you think people are still believe in marriage? I think, Lori, that actually let me let me share some of the advances in the neuroscience. I, I think you're very familiar probably of some of these studies, but neuroscience um, in the last 10 to 15 years has done a lot of research that we did not have in the past. And what's coming up is that the research on neuroscience and on relationship and marital satisfaction, they are all pointing to the fact that as social beings, our brains are hardwired to crave a deep level of emotional attachment and intimacy. Our need for close loving relationships is not only universal, but necessary for our sense of security and well-being. And this starts right from childhood with our caregivers. It continues into adulthood and into old age. Have you heard of the um, of the Harvard study that was released probably like a couple of years ago and it was 75 year study basically looking to find the single most important ingredient to our happiness. Have you heard of that? I have to tell you that was Dr. Robert Wallinger and the reason I know that is because I use that piece of information in my happiness presentations. So yes, I definitely do. It's an amazing study. Yes. So as you know, what they found is that it wasn't anything other than love. Love is what gives us happiness. So this again points to the importance of having a safe and secure base to give and receive love throughout a lifetime. So having a healthy marriage, happy relationships is truly the key to longevity, to health, 
and also uh, wealth, because many of the studies have also have shown in the past that couples also have the most wealth in our country. So it, it, they get all like the big, the big uh, bonuses and benefits of, of of the individuals out in you know in existence. If you have healthy families, healthy relationships, you're gonna get a ton of benefits from that. Well, I'll tell you, um, I was very interested in the piece about the study um, about certain things, you know, will raise your happiness level. Mm -hmm. And the one one part is about, of course, relationships. And that's why I like that study so much, because these men at the time, it was only men, of course, that they studied. And JFK was in that study. I'm sure you know that, too, and that they were they were of every different socioeconomic level in the Northeast of the Boston area. And no matter what, the bottom line came down to the, like you said, the wealthiest people, the poorest of folks, the bottom line was they needed somebody that social relationships were the number one thing. And they needed that one person that they could go to. And that related to happiness as well as, you know, it all connects together from what you and I are both saying, but it's very powerful how important relationships are even believe it or not and i think people are starting to understand over money Mm -hmm. you know and i always say you have to have a certain amount of money um or you can't get past that but once you get to a certain amount of money and you can live a little bit you could save a little bit then adding a bunch more money on top of it doesn't make your life better yes but there's all you know there's always room to grow in relationship. There's always opportunities to be better uh, and to do it better. You're always going to have some sort of conflict. It's not always, not always perfect. So I can understand how continuing to, to use kind of utilize each other as a mirror for ourselves and utilize each other to help us get to where we need to be and communicating better in a, in a way that the other person can, how do I say this? When you're talking back to somebody, you have to give it to them in a way that they'll receive it because the yelling and screaming doesn't exactly work. So I'm going off on a tangent on a bit, but but it's so it's so fascinating how important relationships are Uh, so much research out there about it. So I just I love hearing about it. And it really proves that if you are going to choose to be alone, you really have to have a social life Mm -hmm. uh, in your life. Mm hmm. That's correct. That is correct. And I also get excited because all this research is basically confirming and affirming what we've always known intuitively, what comes to us naturally, which is usually to gravitate to another human being and want to be exclusive with them, want to you know, love them forever type of thing. That's always been kind of like where we've been. That's intuitive. And science right now is just basically saying, yeah, that's what we do. This is how we're wired. And, you know, they what you typically hear is, you know, about all this cheating, especially from the male point of view and, and what you really hear back. It seems to me what I always um, am discovering from my readings and working with people is that it's not that a person doesn't want to be exclusive. It's that are they getting and I'm not blaming the partner by saying this. I just don't know a better way to say it right now. But are they getting what they need from their partner? Are they fulfilled in the relationship? Are they, and it's not, I'm not saying it's the other person's fault, but 
it's not that I think people just want to go astray. I think they there there's something missing inside them, or there's something in the relationship that might just need some work. I mean, how do you how do you feel about that? Well, the number one reason for the for affairs is basically emotional needs not being met at home, and that doesn't mean that your partner hasn't been available. It could actually just mean that you never opened yourself up and became vulnerable to them at the emotional level. So when like clients would come in to see me around an area of cheating and you know some sort of betrayal, then I will figure out you know like where is this rift? You know where is this coming from? Is one of the partners not allowing themselves to be seen or be heard, or is the other one just not caring and not open to the other individual every time they come to them? So, so it, it really comes down to the emotional needs of being heard, being understood, uh, being respected, feeling like you are a person who matters in this relationship and that you are a priority. When those ingredients are in the relationship, you usually do not have people straying. They're usually quite happy and very happy to be in, in that relationship. Well, that makes sense because if you think about a new relationship, it's a constant, the excitement of it, Everybody has their quote unquote best face on the lust of it all, the newness of it all. And so you can keep going back to that Mm -hmm. over and over and over and never really working past what it really takes to get to the really depth of a relationship and how beautiful that can be when you work through things and you grow together and you both learn to be better and you know that the other person has helped you and vice versa. So, you know, there are people who, we were just talking about it in my classes with my students, who love being in love. They love yeah. being in lust because you you get that high, you know, those mm-hmm. endorphins going off again because of that part of the relationship in the beginning and the newness. So <clears throat> if you're not open, you're going to always keep going back for what you know and what feels good, I guess, until you get past that block. And I would imagine that's a lot. That's where you're doing the work with them. Yes, that's correct. That's where I where I enter the scene with them if they call me. <laughs> yeah, that's- absolutely. So, so you know, we talk about love, and Ryan and I were just have a, having a conversation about, you know, I have the term "is love enough." <clears throat> I actually don't believe that love's enough in a relationship. I I think there's more to it. So, so are we, when we come together, we know there should be love there. People do marry for various reasons, but what about love? Is it for most human beings? Do you think it's just about love when you are connecting with somebody and you really want to be with them or are there other things involved? I totally agree with you. I think it's a lot more than love. Love encompasses so many things and you're right. So the first aspect of love is how it makes us feel, at least initially. It it makes us almost, it gives us a high. Um, It makes us feel good. It makes us feel like invincible. We're able to to do actually more at work because studies have even shown that people who actually are in love and people who actually love their partner at home actually are producing more at home, excuse me, at their offices than the people who are not involved and do not have someone loving at home. So anyways, part of that is not only only having all these good feelings, but part of marriage and intimate relationships 
um, is also part of it is to produce tension and conflict. It, it's inherent to actually have tension and conflict because you're two different people coming from two walks of lives. You usually have opposite energy, so you see the world from different view, viewpoints, even if you share values and share ethics, uh, but you still have very different perspectives. So of course you're going to have conflict and of course you're going to have tension. And so moving through the ups and downs allows us to open ourselves deeper. It gives us passage to healing, to access to things that we may not even know they're there because they were repressed and suppressed from childhood. And that's usually what happens um, in, in intimate relationships. The stuff that we have not healed, the things that have wounded us in childhood do come to play and they do surface and they allow us to then go in there and heal. Not only do we, does it come up for healing, but we also have mindsets usually that no longer serve a purpose in our lives. And when we finally take a look at this broken part of our heart or whatever it was, then we could also take away all the disempowering belief systems and all the things that we thought were true and they really are not true. They were just interpretations and stories we told ourselves. So yeah, so part of love is to bring us to a place that's more whole, more complete and bring us to a place that we're actually happier when there's two of us versus just one. So what I'd like to say about this is that self-actualization doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens within relationship. So, so basically when we are living in partnership, we are actively engaged in developing and maintaining healthy habits that are not only keeping the love alive, but allow us to achieve a happy and healthy life overall. Well, I mean, that really makes a lot of sense to me because when you're together, you're having a different dynamic. You're bringing in another human being with all of the issues and belief system. Like you said, you can be as much alike as you want. And it's so interesting because most people are with a partner that's not like them. You that's find that you don't you don't see twinsies too much. Oh, we're exactly alike. You you rarely hear that. It's I, I don't know. We we if we crave something that's different and we just we crave that as human beings like the yin and the yang i don't know what it is but i tend to have introverts around me all the time and i'm a deep extrovert and and ryan's an introvert my my two closest friends are introverts now i know that extroverts love to talk and introverts prefer to listen so that makes some sense but it is funny i i think we're kind of intrigued by those that are different from us. And we can see that they bring things to the table. Maybe we don't consciously know it, but they bring things to the table that we lack. And maybe deep down, you know, we're, we're craving to learn from it, even if we don't realize it. I wonder. Yeah, I think it's just like, why is the diamond usually like the most um, like expensive rock that we can uh, place on the girlfriend's hand? And it's because it's usually one of the rarest stones and it's take, it takes nature so many, so many years to produce the diamonds. So anything that's rare increases in value. So if you, I think with chemistry, we find rarity appealing and interesting. Therefore, like our opposite is like the sexiest thing to us. <laughs> and of course, once we mm -hmm. fall in love, we find out there's so many things we don't agree on. So there's mm -hmm. all these things we need to figure out how to resolve and come together in agreement. Um, and that's where we learn to grow and, and mature and actually expand and evolve. 
and become like bigger, greater human beings because now we have larger capacity for understanding and compassion and tolerance. All of these are fantastic <laughs> virtues. We grow in virtues. <laughs> And, you know, so so many people just they it's so basic to say these words, but it's true. So many people just don't know how to communicate mm -hmm. for various reasons, because mostly because our big old fat ego gets in the way and we get defensive and we and sometimes you have to take a breath and you have to, you know, I might say something and then I'll, I'll kind of tiptoe around it like, OK, I said it, but I have to make sure that the, the person across from me understands that I don't mean it in any way but a loving way or I, I, I you know even if it came off a little bit different than that I often have to back up and go okay wait a minute let me take a deep breath let me try to say this the way I really do mean it um, because I'm a fast talking extrovert you know and, and so what I've learned is to slow down what introverts often learn is say say something you know, um, don't let it bottle in, you know, say it, we have to have a conversation. So these basic communication skills. And I think once people learn, Johnny, and I'm sure you teach this to your clients, once people learn what's really going on, their defenses go down. Once people learn, hey, we all had stuff from childhood. We're bringing stuff to the table that have nothing, that has nothing to do with you, but it's manifesting in our relationship because that's where we come from. That's what we know. That's our point of view where we're coming from and bringing that to the table. And it feels personal because you feel like you're getting attacked, but it's not really personal. So I think a lot of it, I would imagine you have to do a lot of diffusing and a lot of um, helping people understand that it's not as personal as you think it is. That's correct. But it, I have tools, um, like I have active listening exercises that they, you know, they communicate through. So this way they're no longer allowed to or able to criticize and judge their partner. But they need to sit and listen. And they need to be able to mirror back what they heard. Because if they're actually formulating their argument in their head, they cannot be listening. You can't be doing both things at the same time. Yeah, and part of just learning how to listen to your partner quietly that in itself, without giving a rebuttal, excuses, or anything to defend yourself, that in itself diffuses an argument quickly. Just sitting there and listen. And when they're finally all done, then you can affirm the things that made sense to you, and then you could add your perspective. And you can see how easy you can diffuse an argument that, that way. Well, you know, that's interesting you talk about listening skills, and I think um, everyone in this country especially and i have people listening all over the world but often we don't have very good listening skills and in my counseling classes i teach the students are actually teaching them learning the beginning skills of counseling and you know what everybody does is they're the minute someone else starts talking they're already thinking of what they're going to say next and that is increased if you're in a fight because boy your ego needs to have your rebuttal as you say or your answer ready to go so mm -hmm. you teaching that is one of the boy that is such a huge skill to learn to actually be able to focus completely on what the other person's saying and having faith enough to know at the end you could take a deep breath you can even wait a minute and yeah. then decide your answer it gives you time to think so you don't go off the cuff with it so that is a skill i wish you know everybody probably needs to learn a lot better is are those wonderful listening skills that you're teaching glad to hear it <laughs> yeah. 
We need it. And affirming their partner and knowing that they will, because I think people end up fighting so much because they think, well, maybe I won't get a chance to say what I need to say. But no, you're going to get a chance. Just give the person who brought up the complaint of the situation an opportunity to explain themselves and what they're looking for. And then, you know, you take Mm -hmm. your and, and speak. Yeah, and that is not, it sounds so easy. We laugh in class. I said, I'm going to say this to you and you're going to go do it and it's going to be like the most foreign thing in the world, even though we've talked about it, you know, for two class periods. <laughs> Wait till you do it, you know? So it's just, it's not as easy as it sounds, but when you master that skill, it's it's amazing. So, you know, we're talking about communication here and I'm sure that is a very important aspect within a relationship. What are some other really important um, aspects or or tools or what do people need to have to be in a successful healthy relationship what do they need to have well the the foundation trust they they need trust um that's the most important thing um because you start any kind of relationship based you know creating a, a sense of trust between each other so if, if we could um, establish the trust and if we can create a friendship and a companionship around that trust, that means that you're reliable. That means that he's reliable. It means that you're depending on one, on one another. Then we are able to feel comfortable in each other's care and we're able to fully, you know, entrust ourselves. And basically, if we are able to maintain this, this unshakable trust and bond, this is a way that we could always remember that we're on the same team. And I think that's ultimately what people want to know when they are in partnership, that we are on the same team. That gets built with trust and companionship and reliability. So that's what I think that's the most important takeaway for, for most relationships that they're going to make for like the long ride. And trust, I mean, that is the biggest word that you can really use. And that's based on so many things. And what are the biggest issues people have in life or trust? And you come to the table, you know, if you've got somebody that you're with who has, you know, really been hurt, been divorced, perhaps been through, you know, really heart wrenching scenarios. Again, it's not personal. It's not you. It's just that some of these things have to be worked through and it's these words sound so nice and easy, but boy, that that's why you do the work you do because to get there and really let someone in and be vulnerable and say, okay, you know, I'm going to take, I, I'm just going to, going to throw caution to the wind and I'm going to say, you know what, I love this person and I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to take a chance. And some people over time, they, they, they lose that capability, I think for a while until they can let them, I, I've lost it. I mean, and I didn't get married till one day into my 53rd birthday. So, I mean, I lost it for years. I didn't date any, anyone once for like three years because I just, I lost it. And I went into my cocoon and I had this great life and I had fun and I had a blast. Then all of a sudden, um, I crave that intimate partnership again. And I could have really lived my life, you know, without it and been fine. But I hear what you're saying about wanting that and being hardwired for it because i'll tell you when you do get hurt it can it can take you really down so 
So I can see how people come to the table with with that as well as an issue. Um, trust and communication. Big, big deals. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. Goodness. Well, so so a lot of people say, you know, they want their spouse to be their best friend. And I think we all know that, you know, good research around relationships and happiness says that you you, you certainly have your partner your spouse, but having a social relationships um, are a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And so, so tell me about this whole concept is your spouse being your best friend. Should they be and can they be? What do you what do you feel about that? Yes, I think you can be and you probably should be um, because they need to be your confidant. Um, but at the same time, you also need to strike the balance between having your own um, independent pursuits, having, you know, like he should have his, Ryan should have his guy friends that he hangs out with once in a while. You should have your girlfriends that you hang out once in a while. You should have your me time. He should have his me time. So it's a balancing act between being each other's best friends and, and getting each other's back, playing together, um, embracing challenges together, and at the same time, having a balance with your individual self and having your own life in addition to being a part of a couple. That's so true. You know, the me time, the couple time, and the friends time and family time. But, you know, then there's kids. <laughs> and, you know, I don't have children. I do. She's she's a four-legged child. That's my baby. I mean, I have my dog, but I don't have human children. And so I can't really speak. I have a stepchild, but I really can't speak to a children, children living in my home on a constant basis. So a lot of times that really creates an issue because of all the time, you know, quite frankly, put with the children. Do you have a lot of clients that come in who can't balance out, you know, when they have the kids, they, they can't find the time for the, they, they give up the me time or they give up the couple time because yeah. of the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that the couple who's, um, who has at home the young children they're rearing right now, these guys have the toughest time. And I remind them of that every time they come. This is going to be the most difficult time of your life. You are paying a mortgage. You both have careers. Um, there are young children who are dependent and need you. For many things, I said, but it, it will eventually, you will eventually become free from that responsibility. So it ultimately is finding the balance once again of the me time, the children time, the family time. And sometimes the me time may be just like once every two weeks they get to be by themselves and go do whatever it is that they want to go do. Um, while the rest of the time is managing their, you know, the children, the family time, the, the work, but ultimately you cannot not focus on energy on you because you will become depleted and then resentment comes in and then you usually when resentment comes in, it goes, gets directed to the spouse. That's usually where it goes. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. so Um, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So then we enter into a negative dance and we don't want that. So you need to be. Um, conscience that you do need your personal time and you need to squeeze some something there that's your personal you know your personal time and space even if it's a bubble bath 
you know, every couple of days or whatever, or at once a week, you could close the door in the bathroom and, and it's your bubble bath time with candles and music, whatever. But you need to claim your, your time. Well, you're right because a lot of people, they'll, they'll, the kids thing will get out of balance because they feel guilty as a parent saying, no, the two of you can only be in one thing each. That's all we can handle. We, you know, we need to have family time. We need to do other things. We don't, you know, we want our family to be, to not be a stress bubble of, you know, four or five people just in this big stress bubble. So I think that's, a, you know, parents have a lot of trouble with that. But I heard you say, say something interesting, which really leads me into the next topic. When you said dance, the negativity dance. Um, speaking of dancing, I know you're writing your first book called Love Trauma. Mm -hmm. And I know that that there is uh, part of a dance, the Argentine, and Argentine tango thing is infused um, as part of your book. So tell us about love trauma and tell us about how your tango dancing is infused in your book. We want to hear all about what's upcoming with that. Okay. All right. So love trauma, and I'm, it's, it's still being written and I'm hoping that it'll be available for next year. And the working title, which will get changed is love trauma, seven tango lessons for recovery from relationships with narcissists, psychopaths, and other toxic people. And basically, the, the book is an allegory, an allegorical tale. So it is a story of emotional, spiritual, and sexual recovery from abuse at the hands of a dangerous man who preys on women who love deeply. And the book illustrates how calculating a psychopath can be and reveals profound truths about the gut-wrenching reality a woman faces when she unwittingly gets caught in a web of lies and deception. It also shines light on the perils of loving a dangerous person, outlines the red flags, and the winding journey of recovery to repair your self-esteem, your sense of security, and redesign a life that you can once again love. And basically, that this book was inspired through my own experience um, after I moved down to Florida, basically I became a target of a psychopath. Um, actually, he was a quite sweet and charming, so I, I wasn't, you know, my radar wasn't looking for sociopaths and whatever. I had just been divorced, so, and I had been involved in a long-term marriage, so I was very trusting, and next thing you know, I was hooked and fell in love with this guy, and unfortunately I had to learn the hard way what you know, what it is to be involved with an abusive character, an abusive person, and that's what inspired me to write this book. Um, so where, where does the tangle come into all this? So while I was dealing with in the, uh, the aftermath of loving and leaving my psychopath, my body intuitively connected with the Argentine tangle. I became obsessed with it, and I did not know at the time what was happening was that the tango was actually releasing the cascade of love hormones, which we release when we initially fall in love. And basically, it just activated the reward system in my brain, which I did not know that this had the capacity for. But then after investigating tango further, I realized, wow, okay, you know, people use the tango for to help fight depression. Um, obviously, now traumatic stress 
is awesome for that. Um, any kind of like distressing situation, Tango is actually really, really good for you to calm the nervous system down. And that's what it did for me. It soothed my broken heart. And the Tango basically gave me a place to rest and pocket of, pockets of joy while I worked through my trauma. So then in the book, what I've done is I created this story and I'm using the Tango lessons as metaphorically for the lessons on love between a man and a woman and or between a, uh, two people. And I'm also performing the Tango for, and I perform for a cause basically to support victims of domestic violence, um, sexual abuse, and to support families, children, or to empower women. And I actually hope to one day uh, develop a movie that delves into the psychology of the victim to bring awareness to the violence that still goes on against women, which after this happened to me, like my eyes opened up and I didn't realize that so much violence still goes on against women. I thought we had put this to bed and we really haven't. It's still something that goes on very heavily still in our society today. We just may not talk so much about it. Well, you know, that is a, that's a part of, um, well, talking about exercise and health and passion um, with this dance, it's mm -hmm. something I, it's so unique, Gianni, to, to, to know all these things around this dance and what it does for you in so many ways. I mean, I, ju I just feel it's very unique mm -hmm. and I think people will be really interested in it on so many levels. And that is a very cool concept to write a book like that in that way is going to make it really interesting and different. So, I mean, congratulations on the work of the book. I think you, you know, teaching tango or performing tango, I should say, um, showing that it's not only a beautiful dance, but it is good for you um, mentally and physically. And you're able to address people that have been through, you know, tragedy, trauma, etc. You know, in their lives, it's what a, what a unique and I keep saying unique because it is just such an amazing, interesting thing to do. So I love that you put that out there to um, to our folks out there. So if people are interested in this type of dance, um, most major cities like have people can learn it. Most major cities have dance class lessons for tango, right? That's correct. Tango is worldwide. And you're right, um, tango is known for being passionate and romantic, um, kind of like that, definitely for passion and love. And it originated in Argentina in the early 1900s in Buenos Aires, and now it's worldwide. And it's basically like a subculture. And I've gone and I danced as far as out to Istanbul. So you can find tango in China, Japan, you know, South America, everywhere in this country and it's it's either you love it or you hate it so i don't think there are too many like that are in between so either you really are drawn to it or you know at least maybe you enjoy watching it but it's truly something that calls you and that it beckons your attention when you are involved and I, it, to me it was transformational Wow, and I don't want to give away anything in the book, but I've never danced the tango. When when you do the dance, it seems like a very, um, rom like you say, it, it is romantic, but the way that you touch in the tango, of course, I've seen it done. Um, 
can can it can it trigger feelings of lust and love even if you're dancing it with someone you don't know yes okay that is the whole beauty of the tango it's all about the embrace and basically you are held you are held in his embrace and he's held in yours it's so it is it is just like almost like sacred territory and this embrace where you feel safe you feel warmth you feel comfort but at the same time, you're free to play. That's like marriage. You have this space where you embrace each other in safety and in respect. But then there's all this space for playing. So the playing goes below the belt is all the playing. So the legs play while the, our hearts and our chest and our arms are connected. And that's where like all this oxytocin is being released and all of the love hormones get released. Um, as, as if when we were in love, only that we're not falling in love, even though some people do end up falling in love with their partners and they ultimately stay together type of thing and people who get married don't mm. and any other dance. But, um, you know, bottom line is, yeah, you do release a lot of the, the, uh, the love hormones and the, the reward system of the brain gets activated when you're dancing the tango for big time. So many levels here of what it does for you. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Well, well, this has been so interesting, and I'm really glad that you uh, were able to join us. Why don't we wrap up by telling us how people can, can reach you? Because you work with um, only couples or individuals and couples? I both. work with both, yes. Um, I specialize And in how do we find you? So um, basically, I specialize with with uh, singles who are interested in preparing to meet the love of their life, and, and basically we look inward to clear the path to love, and then working together will also help uh, help them understand how to sort and select a life partner. With couples, I do traditional marriage counseling or couples counseling, and we work through the conflicts together. We increase intimacy, we increase understanding and passion and break through fears and limitations that have uh, severed perhaps their ability to grow together. I also work with individuals who are going through grief, loss, have been in an abusive relationship or going through a divorce and I also help them to kind of promote a quicker path to wholeness and happiness. I am um, available via video calls and phone calls so I'm not only working with local people, I am global available globally and I do offer a 15 minute free consultation and they can find me at fearlesslove.net or on Facebook which is Fearless Love LLC. Well, wonderful. Well, so learned so much today and so glad to have you on the show. I think fearless love is, it's a beautiful thing and uh, sometimes you just have to you may have to get yourself figured out, but you got to just go for it. And I'm glad that there are wonderful professionals out there like you, Gianni, to help people um, to get to those wonderful, loving places. So thank you for the good work that you do. Uh, best of luck on your book and continuing that. And we'll have you back on the show when the book comes out as well. All right. Thank you so much, Lori. I totally appreciate it. And it's been so much fun. Thank you. Thanks. Have a wonderful night. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Check out my book, Getting Married at Last, My Journey from Hopeless 
Publicist to Happiness, available on Amazon and Kindle and paperback. Want to find out where I'll be doing my book tour? Go to www.happinesshangout.net. This is Lori Peters signing off. See you in two weeks. Hi, this is your host, Lori. Want to get more happiness? Check out all the free readings, activities, and my blog at my website. Want to learn how to deal with life's challenges from your positive core? Check out Empowering Yourself to Happiness class, done totally online. You can find it all at www.happinesshangout.net. www.happinesshangout.net. Come explore and feel better wherever you are. This is Lori Peters with the Happiness Hangout. I provide presentations on happiness and well-being to businesses, schools, and anyone involved in wellness and professional days. Check out tons of free resources and activities also at my website, www.happinesshangout.net. Feel better wherever you are. Help us grow the Happiness Hangout Show. Become a sponsor. Businesses and nonprofits, get your info out there to thousands of my listeners all over the world for just pennies. Individuals can also sponsor one or more shows, and you get a shout-out to your favorite charity. Several packages available. Come see what you get and put out there what's important to you. Go to www.happinesshangout.net www.happinesshangout.net for more information.